Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Simon Dudley, Chief Contrarian for Accession Events. To learn more and for information about the book and other resources, please go to accessionevents.com. Hi, this is Simon Dudley. This week's podcast interview is with my old friend, Howard Lickman. Ah, good to see you, Simon, as always. This podcast series is beginning to take off. Howard's my second guest, and Howard's been in the video conferencing industry since, well, I think before me, and that is a very long time. So it's interesting, and I wanted to start this whole conversation with a bit of background, right? Howard's been involved in this industry in all sorts of capacities for a long time. So you better introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you represent, sir. So my name is Howard Lickman, and I have a couple of different companies uh, within the industry, one of which is the Human Productivity Lab. And the Human Productivity Lab is a consultancy that works with end users and vendors in visual collaboration. We've done everything from help uh, uh, companies improve their visual collaboration uh, capabilities. We've designed environments. We've worked with vendors on uh, you know, uh, what, uh, how to improve their products. Uh, that's company number one. Company number two is uh, I publish Telepresence Options, uh, which is uh, which we're, where we cover the latest and greatest news with respect to visual collaboration. And finally, the thing that takes up the most of my time these days is I am the uh, chief uh, uh, commercial officer slash chief uh, creative officer for a new uh company called Array Telepresence, where we're enabling life-size immersive telepresence in regular-size conferencing rooms using your existing video conferencing equipment. Uh, so you've got quite a lot on then. Uh, yes. I'm busy <laughs> as a proverbial one-armed paper hanger. Absolutely. That's, that's great. Now, look, Human Productivity Lab, an unusual name. Uh, I've known that it exists for donkey's years. But I'm very interested because I know there's a bit of a story behind this. How did Human Productivity Lab get started? What's, what's that? Because it's a strange. Now, most companies call themselves Excelsior or something, and you decided to go for something very different. Why? What's the story? So my, my original work, my, I used to, before I was in the visual collaboration industry, I'm, an, I'm a networking guy, and I used to work for a – uh, international uh, telecommunications uh, network provider where we specialized in building networks for the financial industry for market data and trading for technology. And in that, uh, in that role, I used to describe my role as I, uh, I managed commission-driven mercenaries and, uh, and I ran a gladiator academy of commission-driven mercenaries. And so we were trying at the time. We were we had just done a four hundred and five million dollar uh, IPO, and we were growing very very rapidly. And so I'm, I was opening uh, sales offices in New York, Boston, Atlanta, Herndon, Virginia, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, Miami, and a bunch of other places. It was an eighty five percent travel job. Uh, and I was in my, I was, uh, I was around 30 years old at the time. And I described myself as, uh, you know, completely over my head. And I realized that I either had to clone myself or I had to improve the, you know, my individual productivity and the productivity of my direct reports and, uh, and, uh, and all of our commission driven mercenaries. And at the time, you know, we were growing sales by growing the sales force, and anytime that you're you're adding additional 
commission-driven mercenaries, there's always the chance that it doesn't work out, that that this guy blows up, uh, you know, this guy, you know, quits the job right after you give it to him because he had another job waiting for him. Uh, uh, this guy's an alcoholic. This guy can't sell. Uh, there's a, there's a million reasons why people don't work out. And so I started thinking that, you know, if we were able to just raise the productivity of our existing sales force, then, uh, then that was kind of a known commodity. We weren't rolling the dice with new people. And I, and I speculated that we could do that very cost effectively versus, you know, the cost of the fully weighted, uh, you know, employee. And so I began uh, a skunk works within the company called the Human Productivity Lab. And my, my, my initial work was testing technologies that would give us an improvement in either organizational productivity or the individual productivity of executives, subject matter experts, commission-driven mercenaries, et cetera. And so what we would do is we, would, uh, we had a little focus group of managers within the company and we would test different technologies. And the ones that work, we would roll them out into production within this group or that group or you know, wherever it made sense uh, economically or feasibly. And so some of, the, some of the, uh, the technologies that I was testing and moving into production back then were web conferencing. And this was, by the way, this is 1999, year 2000. And so we okay. were one of the first uh, sales organizations to roll out web conferencing, according to the good folks at Placeware, which you may or may not remember. <laughs> the, Unfortunately, I do, but none of our listeners are over the age of 80, so many won't. There you go. So, so, uh, so uh, 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 interactive smart boards, so our sales engineers were able to whiteboard with the same degree of detail that they would be if they were, you know, using, uh, you know, a, a pen on a, you know, on a, on a whiteboard. Um, uh, cordless headsets, Franklin Covey time management, uh, Blackberries, back when Blackberries were about 400 bucks a piece and $80 a month just for the little uh, handheld ones, and uh, video conferencing. And so, uh, so because I had an 85% travel job, I was trying to figure out some way to connect my offices in Herndon with my main offices in St. Louis and Boston. And because we were a, uh, a network provider and we had true QoS because the financial industry demanded true QoS, um, I was experimenting with IP video over TrueQoS networks back in 1999 and just realized that, uh, that uh, both for the networking industry and for my own individual productivity, that it had a lot, it had a lot to do, you know, it had a lot of potential. But what I didn't see that it had was it didn't have very good human factors, and back then it didn't have very good data collaboration tools. So I began experimenting with creating what we called collaboration rooms and marrying together video, uh, IP video conferencing, true QoS uh, networking between the locations, web conferencing, and interactive whiteboards to be able to do that, to be able to whiteboard interactively between the rooms and realize that we probably had a hit. And so uh, uh, I left the company, started a company called Powwow Networks with uh, one of my colleagues from Savas, and we began uh, uh, trying to productize 
collaborative environments that marry those capabilities. Right. Well, that's quite an interesting story. It's funny that there's a, f a few people in the industry who seem to have got into it because they saw how powerful it was. I, I did it in a similar way. Well, not in the same way as you at all. I did it because I was living in Australia and I wanted to talk to my dad and he was back in London. Mm -hmm. and I went, video conferencing, well, I'll get in that market and I'll help move it. And then at some point in the future, it'll, it'll work for everyone. I think unlike most industries, most IT industries, a lot of people in the video conferencing space seem to do it because they truly believe in it. Where I, I'll be honest, not many people, and no disrespect to them, but not many people in telephony or wireless or new routers. It's just another box to sell. Where I think that video conferencing, it seems to be full of people who really believe in its power to change people's lives. And even if it's only their own, um, which is mainly the case for you in your early days and me and mine, it's it's strange how that works. Well, you know, it, it's funny. So so um, so that got me into video, and then you know that 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 experience of trying to solve that problem for myself of avoiding you know the eighty five percent travel that I was doing, trying to manage all of these different offices around the country, that was that was part of it. But at, when I decided to kind of uh, you know continue with my focus on video, I did so because it's something that you can feel good about. It's good for the economy. It's good for productivity. It's good for the lower back. You're helping accelerate the development of, of you know, life-saving drugs. You're accelerating the ability for people to learn uh, both professionally and in higher education and ultimately, you know, K through 12 education. You're, you know, there, there's so many different benefits to, uh, us being a, a connected and interconnected world, that uh, that was part of the reason why I continued with visual collaboration. It's funny, you know, I just listened this morning to a piece on NPR um, about the way that traditionally patents come in clusters where you have to be in a big city, uh, an LA, a New York, a Chicago, a London, and those are the cities that produce the patents because there's that interaction of a relatively small group of people who can get together on a regular basis. Over the last, they've looked at 10 million patents since 1900 or something. And over the last 20 years, that has changed. And now a lot of the innovation comes from the smaller cities and from groups who are more spread out. And they even cited that they think that video conferencing is one of the reasons for that, because now people working in PhDs and on, on intellectual property can be, thousands of miles away from each other and still have a human connection. And I must say, I sat in the car while driving the kids to work or to school this morning and thought to myself, well, we've really made a dent in the universe. This matters. And it's, you know, it's you and me and, and thousands of other people who've done this in the industry. We haven't just made people's wireless faster. We've actually changed things and I'm really proud of it. No, we're, I mean, we're, we are accelerating the rate of, you know, of, of, the, the growth of knowledge, the ability for people to collaborate in real time, uh, and to and to come to to reach that moment of understanding or that moment of decision faster and with better information. And in fact, you know what what I like to say is 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 really there's so much information that you get in a conversation that is nonverbal. That, you know, whether it's, you know, is that person telling you the truth? Is that per does that person understand what I'm talking about, especially, you know, between different countries where people may speak different languages and all of that, all of that ancillary information 
when you're in a, vi a visual collaboration experience, you're opening up the bandwidth between supercomputers because everybody is, uh, you know, everybody's brain is, you know, is a, is a supercomputer. And so when you're on an audio call, it's throttled down to, you know, to the uh, proverbial 56 K. But when you are, you know, when you can both introduce the visual information from, uh, from uh, the, you know, the conversation and when you're able to effectively share data visualizations and things that help uh, 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 visual learners come up to speed on an idea or grasp a concept faster, you're connecting those supercomputers, um, you know, you're opening up the bandwidth and you're connecting those supercomputers at, at, at full speed versus having that, that connection throttle down. Yeah, see, I wrote a piece for Wired um, a year or so ago now about, about the difference between yes and yes. And actually, the word yes in English has two meanings. It has yes, I hear you, and yes, I understand you. And over a phone call, those words sound the same. And in a video call, you can instantly tell the difference. So coming back a step, you said a minute ago about the rate of change. Mm -hmm. And I write about this in my book, uh, The End of Certainty, and lots of other places. Mm -hmm. and you must have seen this, right? You've been in industry as long as I have. The rate of change is always increasing. You know, the Moore's law effect of compute power doubles every 18 months to two years means that things that were almost impossible 10 years ago, like, for example, high-definition video conferencing, have now become trivial because compute power in the last 10 years, since 2005, has gone up effectively by at least a rate of 100. In fact, it's gone up by much more than that because the algorithms are, are, are making it the raw compute power, even more powerful. So you've gone through these. Two questions for you. You can answer them in any order. What's your strategy to cope? And have you been caught up by one of these? I personally have many times and realized I'm on the wrong side of this equation and I'm being made redundant by a technological change. So I either change industries or reinvent myself within an industry. What's your experiences of either or both of those? Well, I'll tell you an interesting story from the original Human Productivity Lab on kind of the you know the rate of change and where you know where where that got brought home and a, and a kind of fascinating little anecdote. But um, one of the one of the technologies that we tested and we wanted to roll out into production was Blackberries at a time where Blackberries were very very expensive, and you know to roll it out you know at at four hundred bucks a pop even even after four hundred five million dollar IPO to hundreds of people within our organization, that was a lot of, you know, that was a big investment. And I remember my boss, you know, said, you know, we're going to, all right, we'll try it out, but I really don't think that this, this one is going to, you know, pass muster because of the cost. And uh, um, I was uh, teaching, I was out of my office. I was, I, I uh, my home office was in Herndon, Virginia. I was in St. Louis. I was teaching a class to a new group of Myself and the product manager were teaching a, a class to a new group of uh, sales folks, and I would talk for a little bit, and then the, the product manager would talk for a little bit, and my boss was in there with on his laptop kind of auditing the class and, you know, trying to soak up a little, uh, you know, while he was multitasking. And um, I had been trying to uh, close a deal with um, a financial institution. It wasn't a big deal. It was just a couple of T1 lines. We were selling a couple T1, T1 lines. 
And the, the client began emailing me while I was teaching the class. And I began, and I would, when I would take a pause, I would reply to him and I would blind carbon copy my boss who was sitting over there, uh, you know, in the corner. And, uh, and in the, in the space of about 30 minutes while I was out of the office, while I was teaching a class, we got a commitment from the customer to move ahead. I forwarded the email to my assistant who would then, you know, put, you know, get everything moving. And after that experience, you know, my boss came up to me and he's like, I get it. I get it completely. You're out of the office, you're teaching a class and you're closing business. We'll get it for everybody. When, you know, just a a year or so before that, the rate of that speed would have been impossible for people to kind of comprehend that you could be doing those things simultaneously and you could be in contact with people. And so that's kind of an interesting anecdote of, 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 you know, that's, that wasn't that long ago, but that was a, you know, a leap forward. Now we're doing the same thing with instantaneous video, instantaneously letting me show your, uh, show you my screen. And so that I can teach you or you can teach me and I can bring you up to speed very, very quickly. And that's just adding again, additional information into the, uh, into the, uh, to, to our conversation, um, uh, that, uh, that accelerates understanding and learning. How do I keep up with it? Um, I, I, you know, I, I read voluminously just trying to keep up with, uh, visual collaboration in the industry. Um, I, I generally spend at least 30 minutes to an hour, you know, reviewing the news, uh, every morning. Um, I have a number of different, uh, you know, um, information aggregators that I go to, uh, that, that, and I, so I, I rely on information aggregators to cut through the wheat through the chaff. And then I, I use, I try and, you know, remove the, you know, take the best of those. And then um, I just I, I want to have a a focus as a lifelong learner, and and so I'm constantly trying to improve my skills, hone my skills, learn new skills. It's funny, you know, you you talk and, and everything you said seems entirely logical. Well, it is entirely logical. Mm. The vast majority of people don't do it. They 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 spend their time. Going, oh well, I did my MBA five years ago. Well, I learned it all then. Now everything's about implementation. One, it drives me crazy. I had a work colleague once who told me she couldn't learn a new application. Well, I don't know how to use that. I said, well, you didn't know how to use the previous version before you, know, before you were born. You, must have, you didn't learn it through osmosis. And she goes, oh, I'm done with learning. I've done my MBA. Yeah. That was the end of the conversation. I frankly had nothing to say to her after that. We, we stopped talking. It, I found it easier. Uh, it seems defeatist. Oh, it's crazy. So what did you what did you what did you miss, right? There must have been a technology that drove past you one day and maybe waved and you went, Oh, that looks I mean, by the time you thought about it, it had gone and somebody had become a bazillionaire. What was your you, you we all have regrets. What was yours? You know, I, I tell you what I, I tell you it wasn't that it went past me, it's that I kind of didn't see it coming. Uh, to a certain degree, and uh, when you know, after we, uh, after I started the company, we were trying to build these visual collaboration environments. You know, we understood the human factors of video, and so we were using you know large screens. Um, but it wasn't until I walked into a, a Telesuite, which is now Polycom RPX, at AOL in I want to say about 2004. And I experienced life-size people at the right aspect ratio of the human eye 
and that, that I really had the, you know, I, I described it as kind of like a bullet through my brain saying, you know, like saying, Hey, that, that is, uh, you know, that is the future. Of course, everybody's going to be life size. Of course, we're all going to, uh, you know, to seem like we're in the same physical space. And so, uh, so that's something that, that just, you know, like, even though that I, you know, had been doing all this experimentation with video, um, it was just one, one aspect of it that I'd never really, you know, I never really saw until I walked in and I realized how good it can be. So, which brings us up, right? So the industry is going in numerous directions. It seems to be going for huddle rooms and bring your own codex with, you know, cameras from Vadio or, or Logitech or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, there also seems to be a continual market for the big high-end stuff from people like Cisco and Polycom. There's obviously the space in the middle with lots of other players. And telepresence seems to be, or the $300,000 telepresence room seems mm-hmm. to be kind of done I, I would argue done in the sense that every, everyone who's ever going to buy one's bought one and maybe i'm wrong but it certainly seems that way right now so you get your crystal ball out the howard lickman crystal ball right we've done this before but on a shorter time scale five years what's the industry look like in five years from now for you so well I, i'll tell you this first of all and just just to back up so so when, when i first started studying productivity I ended up focusing on telepresence and visual collaboration. I started taking a look at all these other aspects of how to implement technology to improve both organizational and, you know, individual productivity. But I ended up kind of specializing and focusing on telepresence because for multinational companies and the, you know, the big, uh, you know, the really organizations, the number one thing that they can do is accelerate their people around the world at the speed of light and improve the rate at which they learn information, understand information, and can effectively communicate that to their colleagues because that's what shortens their decision cycles, et cetera. And so I, I focus there because I could just deliver as a consultant, I could deliver the absolute biggest bang for the buck. Sure. Uh, I ended up focusing on telepresence because what, you know, one of the things that I realized was is that, you know, human beings have innate expectations with respect to interpersonal communication. If you and I were standing here in person right now, we're both accepting some limitations that come with the, with the medium. Okay. Um, if we were in person, you would expect me to be life size. When I talk, you would expect it to come from my mouth. Uh, and, and, you know, you're there's, and, and if it wasn't, if my gaze angle was off, it would be kind of weird, you know, a little bit weird for you. And so, and so what I realized with telepresence is if you can improve the human factors of the call, you improve what I like to call end user acceptance. And when you improve end user acceptance, you improve the in, the satis- their satisfaction. And when you improve the satisfaction, you improve the usage. And when you improve the usage, then people, then then the companies that have made these gigantic investments in video estates, video conferencing, then they begin to get the ROI that they uh, you know that they had kind of hoped for, but maybe weren't getting before you know, uh, we moved to HD and we began improving the human factors in a variety of different ways. And so I look at, so what we describe telepresence is, is visual collaboration solutions. 
that address the human factors of participants and try to replicate as closely as possible an in-person experience. And so, you know, right now, or previously, that used to cost you know, about three hundred thousand dollars. You can you can get you can only get to a kind of certain level of quality with a pan tilt zoom camera, yes, and a regular you know conference room because of the limitations of the pan tilt zoom camera. Even if you have the best video conferencing codec in the world, this twenty year old technology of the pan tilt zoom camera you know, has been, has essentially been the limiting factor to, to improving the human factors. Now, the way the industry dealt with that is they built out these $300,000 rooms where the participants were, you know, uh, properly uh, positioned. They had enough large format video screens to replicate two people per, per screen and across the table, you know, Western European traditional business meeting. But this, but those rooms have plenty of limitations. In addition to the cost, um, they require a very large footprint. You've got to frequently do room remediation. You've got to, uh, you know, they use uh, six plus mega bandwidth. You frequently yeah. re-architect the network. They require, uh, in some cases, expensive video network infrastructure. Well, John Chambers said uh, some years ago that your average uh, telepresence room used three times more Cisco infrastructure to make it work than the telepresence room costs to buy. Yep. So it gives you an idea of the story that's behind it, even if users love the quality of the experience. But what if you could get all of the, what if you could get all of the benefits and advantages in regular size conference rooms using your existing video conferencing gear with no impact on the network, no impact on video network infrastructure, without room remediation. And so that's really what, what, what I see the next uh, phase is, is bringing telepresence into regular size meeting rooms, not at $300,000, uh, but you know what we're doing at Array Telepresence is we've dropped the cost down to 13,990 in a room that's still got, uh, it, that's got perfect vertical eye line that has a better horizontal gaze angle than the $300,000 rooms that uses less bandwidth that uses, uh, uh, that has standup capture where most $300,000 environments don't where you can use your existing video conferencing gear and it's not going to impact your network or your video network infrastructure. So I think that you're right. I think that the market has been saturated at the $300,000 price point. But if we could make, we could give people that exact same uh, experience in regular size rooms without any of the uh, the associated costs, then I think we could get end user satisfaction up dramatically. And I think that that end user satisfaction drives usage, and usage drives ROI. And when you improve the quality of the experience between the different locations, then all of a sudden you can use it in intercompany business. You can use it to talk to clients. You can use it to work with partners and, and kind of real-time uh, product development. And so I think that, that you know, a rising quality lifts the whole industry's moat. Now, one of the questions, one of the things I've noticed in my 20 years of this, I'm personally never afraid of being on camera, but many are, is the silence, the automatic mute of the PTZ camera, right? The camera rotates to look at a particular user. You, you might as well just go up to them and shh. I mean, it's effectively uh, be quiet now. People hate it. 
So if you can make the cameras less obtrusive, even if they know at some intellectual level they're on camera, emotionally they feel they're not. Now that's something you solve. The other thing you solve, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think you solve is codec independence. Because it seems to me that IT departments increasingly are looking after the plumbing in organizations, but not the applications. If video conferencing is becoming an application, then the IT department's going to want as much flexibility as possible as to what that is. So does your staff, either now or soon, or in the next five years, is that sort of problem that you're also looking to solve? So without a doubt, and the problem you described where, where there's a certain amount of people that don't feel comfortable on camera, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Array does is that we conceal the camera at perfect vertical eyeline, and that has attendant psychological benefits on how people feel in the meeting. They're not worried about how they look. They're not worried, is the meeting uh, being recorded so that they're, you know, they're not going to be guarded in their conversations. So that's one of the, the many aspects that we that we solve. You mentioned the you know the panning, tilting, zooming camera. Um, one of the other problems that we solve is the problem of the tiny postage stamp head people that are always the most important people in the meeting because they always sit in the power position at the head of the table. And so there's this huge virtual distance between the most important people in the meeting and the camera and on the other side of the world between the most important people in the meeting and the display. And so what we do is we bring everybody up close and personal. We increase the pixel count on the furthest person's face by six and a half times that of the, of the pan tilt zoom camera. And we saw, and we bring them into a better format kind of, they, they feel to be, you know, just across the table and that, that's it. It doesn't make them look like a bobblehead though. Right. I mean, the, oh, yeah, the effect is natural. This isn't a little body, huge head type effect. This is you. The users at the far end wouldn't even know that it's being affected. Correct. In fact, one of the things that we also do is we equalize everybody's size so that the closest person is the same size as the furthest person. And they seem to be sitting right across. But no, you're, everybody looks normal. They're all at the right aspect ratio of the eye. You've got perfect vertical eye line. And so the, the experience is dramatically improved. Now, Cisco and Polycom try and solve the same problem, the problem of tiny postage stamp heads with the same, with you know, just taking the PTZ and having voice tracking. But while that solves the head, because they will, you know, they'll zoom in and they'll bring somebody up close and personal, uh, they're, they're actually making many things in the experience worse because number one, you've got a panning, tilting, zooming camera. And every time that that camera moves, your eye is biologically attuned to motion. It's a survival mechanism that all humans you know, have. And your eye catches that. And you're, you have to take your focus off of the, the message of the meeting and focus it on the medium. And what I believe is one of the reasons that before that, you know, we had such low utilization before HD and telepresence and these other uh, technologies that improved end user acceptance was because the brain was constantly, you know, trying to pay attention to the meeting. At the same time, it was trying to pay attention to the medium of why is that guy so tiny? How come you know, I can I can barely see the furthest participants? And the voice tracking cameras, in addition, you know, first of all, they're still visible. Second of all, they're panning, tilting, and zooming. 
but there's also a about a three second delay from the time that the camera picks up a speaker and it frames the image uh, and does the cutover. And so, so what, what ends up happening is there becomes a pace in a voice activated camera meeting where everyone is now anticipating the switch. And so now you're like, so, so when somebody on the other end starts talking, everybody's like sitting there going, it's going to switch. The camera's going to switch. The camera's going to switch. And sometimes it doesn't switch because they also use machine vision. So if you're talking to a colleague, you know, that's across the table from you and the camera isn't getting your eye, you know, two eyes and a mouth, it's not going to switch. Now everybody's, everybody's waiting for, you know, a switch. And now, so now they've solved one problem while they've introduced, while they didn't fix one problem and they've introduced some new ones. And so it's that, so it's, so, you know, what we're, what we're about is we're trying to faithfully create an experience where everybody seems to be sitting in the same space. Everybody is life-size. The conversation is very natural and the technology is invisible and you just feel like you're in the same, you know, physical space with people that are uh, around the world. Which, you know, an early client of ours uh, in my life-size day said, video conferencing needs to disappear as a technology to be effective. It, effectively, you need to build a window to another place. If, if people can tell there's technology in the way, mm-hmm. they'll stop using it. And I, I think that your argument would, would uh, agree with that. The second point I would make is, and it's fascinating, I, I'm a bit of a photography buff, and it's fascinating that really all, I mean, literally all of the advances in photography today are in software. Mm-hmm. all about processing that's why no one buys a compact camera anymore even though the optics on it are far better than my iphone mm-hmm. but my iphone and the new 6s as a perfect example has capabilities far better in many respects than my two thousand dollar just for the body canon slr which is too big to carry anywhere mm-hmm. and it's fascinating that it's all about the comp- the tiny little sensor the r- ridiculously small little lens on this thing produces better results in all sorts of ways than mm-hmm. even professional grade cameras did of less than five years ago. It, it's an accession event. It's Moore's Law. It's the 10X in five years issue. So you're busy with all these businesses. I have to ask a question. I ask this of all my guests. What keeps you up at night? Man, wow. Um being leaped, you know, so on, you know, on the, the array side, probably being leapfrogged, you know, by spy technology that we just didn't see. Uh, nobody has uh, pointed that out to me, but I mean, that's the, the one thing that you're, that, uh, you know, has, has somebody been trying to solve the same problem in parallel with you? Uh, that's, uh, and, and also you just worry about being copied by unscrupulous companies that we showed it to earlier. But, uh, you know, but for the most part, that that's probably the, the number one Thing that keeps me uh, keeps me awake at night. Well, you know, you got to. I wrote about this in UC Strategies just this week. That you go basically in the modern world with the rate of change that we've got. You can go if you can get a hundred times better in ten years. Almost any technical problem goes from close to impossible to trivial in no more than ten years. Maybe you'll make twelve. I mean, it's just a react. You know, the only thing to do is keep running. My father said to me when I started work 30 years ago that the only thing to do is find a technology that you can master, 
mm-hmm. run like hell with it. And this whole idea that I've got all the answers now, it's just about doing it, is painfully going away. So, Howard, this has been fun, and, and always, I always enjoy talking with you, and we should perhaps do it more often. But um, any final thoughts, any nuggets of wisdom? We know the price. We know where to get your stuff. So we, let's, not make it, let's not make it on that, but let's talk about any other things, thoughts on the industry or you know, thoughts on your businesses or, or ideas that you want to share with everyone. No, I'll just tell you that the the number one advice that we give consulting clients when we're when we're working with you know Fortune 500 companies that are looking to improve their ability their visual collaborative capabilities is that we recommend that they uh, imp- that they focus on improving the human factors of the rooms and we work at, we we recommend that they focus on getting. Uh, their capability to connect effectively with their partners, their vendors, and their clients. Because the world that I think we're heading in is where every major organization, whether it's an enterprise or university or a uh, government institution, whatever it is, will have a room or a number of rooms, and you'll walk in, and you are going to feel like you're in the same physical space with people that are all around the world, and you're going to have collaborative tools at your disposal that in many ways would allow you to be more effective because of the quality of the tools in an intercompany meeting than you would in an in-person meeting. And so improving that capability for an organization, the bigger the organization, the more ROI that you're going to get out of being able to, you know, being your supercomputers around the world at the speed of light and allow them to work effectively with their partners, your vendors, and most importantly, your customers. And that, that, that is going to be the leading capability for organizations that are, uh, that are accelerating their ability to learn, accelerating their ability to communicate effectively with those, those uh, stakeholders and improving their time to decision and their time to insight on the problems that are that are going to give them uh, a strategic competitive advantage over their competition. I wanted to thank you for your time, Howard. I do hope everyone enjoyed the show. We'd love some feedback. And it's goodbye until next time. <laughs> <laughs>